Hey, Patrick, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about how I'm now a lounge singer inside a Minnesota hotel lobby, uh, for those of you who can see. And then we're going to talk a little bit about like how seasonality is bullshit. So those are the two things we'll talk about. It sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Welcome to Tradeoffs, where Neera's Heaton Shaw and Propwell's Patrick Campbell discuss tech through a product-first mindset to inspire you to think differently. This week, they talk about sales. A great sales leader. It's like, holy cow, do your thing. Let me get out of the way. Eliminating excuses. You've never like completely saturated the market. So it's really just about figuring out how to get more leads at all times, regardless. Predicting leaders. All I care about as a leader is repeatability and predictability. And to me, planning should be oriented around that. And end of year planning. Iteration is better than like perfection at the wrong time. Hey, what's going on? What's up, dog? How was Thanksgiving? It was good. It was great. Yeah, I had my uh, in-laws in town and we had more than one feast. How about you? Nice. It was great. I was in London, a little Amsterdam, all business, unfortunately. It's funny because I told the team, because we, we did this like partner dinner with a company and it was one of those things where I was like, hey guys, I'm in London, like they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. So like set up meetings and then I didn't control the meetings as much as I should have. And all of a sudden I had meetings every day. So <laughs> that's what happens when you tell your team that. <laughs> I know. Well, it, it, it's great rather than like telling them and then nothing happens. Right. So I'll take totally. that. But uh yeah, and now I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I feel like I'm a lounge singer right now because I don't have a mic stand, so I'm holding the mic, and I'm in like some very like mood lighting for anyone watching the video here. So maybe a better background than I normally have. But uh, yeah, it was a good Thanksgiving. Jenny came out to London too, so it was good to hang out with her because the road is kind of like back on now, which yes. is kind of exciting. I know we were going to talk a little bit about planning today, but the one thing that you and I talked about before we started recording, I think, is really useful for everybody. It's not useful the moment right now because the week has passed, but a hack that I don't think enough people take advantage of. I always hear sales leaders and maybe not, they're not the good sales leaders being like, oh, well, seasonality, we had calls go down, you know, this week because of Thanksgiving. And my reaction is there's one country in the world that celebrates Thanksgiving, you know, this week and there's a ton or last week and there's a ton of other countries that don't. So what we did, and I know you did this as well, is we have like a two week buildup on our pipeline, meaning like there's certain things that happened last week that start two weeks before then. So basically what we ended up doing is prospecting all non-US companies starting that week. And then we stopped going after our subscription commerce customers because they're all going through Black Friday and Cyber Monday and that type of stuff. And so long story short, like we had good pipe last week. You know, we had basically the same pipe we have every week because we made sure that we looked at our pipe in the right way, which I know is something you do as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just loved something you said earlier about this, which is like, making sure that basically the team knows we should not have a reduced number of calls or reduced number of demos scheduled replies, whatever the metrics are on the sales funnel, and then figuring out how you're going to make that happen. And then when you do that thought process, you ran into, oh yeah, one country in the world has Thanksgiving, right? And yes, it's a major country, sure. But all the other ones don't and people are working, totally, right? And like we have people on our team that are not in the US, they were working, Right. Which doesn't mean I was working because of them, but I was working because I always work. So it was cool for me. But like, yeah, I, I just love that attitude. I think that's the right attitude. And also another way to think about it, too, is like even just general seasonality. You've never like completely saturated the market. So it's really just about figuring out how to get more leads at all times, regardless. 
that's kind of my mental model there. So yeah, I agree with you. I think these things were more prevalent when we didn't know this and the global economy wasn't where it was today. Yeah, exactly. And we have these hanging rules over our heads. And like, this is one of the tests of great salespeople, right? Like, are they contextual to where the world is today? Or are they just still stuck in their old ways of thinking seasonality is a consistent problem that that is just the way it is? And it's like, no, well, we're in business. Our goal is to figure this stuff out, not just rely on like what we believe to be true based on what everyone's been saying is true when it might not be true anymore. Yeah. And I think it's really important to have in this case, like a middle of the funnel leader, like an SDR manager or growth person who is like, doesn't use these types of crappy excuses. Like I typically see these excuses come up with people who aren't as first principles thinkers, aren't as strategic thinkers. And even if they're not amazing at it, just giving the direction of, hey, if next week or this week you tell me last week was down because of Thanksgiving, like we failed. Because right now our pipe and process and operations of this is in a good enough place that it's not like we're scrambling and all this other stuff. We're able to, you know, see this coming, right? And that, that's with other seasonality too. So like thing about Christmas, right? So obviously a lot of people in the world, I think most countries have some sort of like, you know, holiday, but there's, you know, what I told our team is like, that's fine. There's always people who work, you know, cause they're, you know, like us uh, for better or for worse. But then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, like, Israel doesn't celebrate Christmas. Like, and that's a big tech community for us, right? It's not going to make it so that we're at the same level for ops and, you know, calls and those types of things as we are in a regular week, but we're just trying to prevent zero, right? We're just trying to prevent getting down to an infinitesimal amount. And so inbound is always keeps cooking. There's Israel, there's obviously other countries um, and other faiths that are, you know, dominant in different countries that, you know, good, good candidates. But I also love that, like, you know, Christmas is on a Saturday, right? So instead of being on a Wednesday where that like week is completely shot. It's like, oh, we have selling days, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And sure, like closing something like does that stuff gets pushed to January sometimes, you know, but it's one of those things that like when you have your processes in place and we still have so much work to do in this, but we have enough of a foundation that we can steer the ship in response to things. And it's not like a complete crap show. We also, one other thing that just made me think of this, we actually offset our quarters a whole month because I think what we kept finding in a few previous years is we would have like kind of like an 80% quarter in Q4, which ended, you know, December 31st. And everyone was kind of like a little bit of a basket case because, you know, they're trying to have their family stuff. And then all of a sudden, like they have to like, you know, not take some time off exactly because they're trying to close a deal. And then they're dealing with a prospect who they're taking time off, those types of things. And then all of a sudden we'd have like 120%, you know, Q1. Right. Because a lot of those deals that didn't close the end of December, they would go into January and all of a sudden we're offsetting it. You know, last year it was beautiful because all of a sudden, like we didn't have that lumpy, like we had the lumpiness on a month to month basis, but not a lumpiness as much on a quarterly basis, which was kind of cool. So yeah, a couple of little things in terms of seasonality, steering the ship. And as you were talking about, like making sure like the directive is like clear. Um, I think those are good recipes for not losing momentum throughout holidays and all kinds of fun stuff. 100%. I do this with July 4th too. Yeah, I think this is an important way to think about it for, you know, the sake of your business. <laughs> yeah. Not to harp on like crappy salespeople, but like, I don't know. I don't want to say crappy because now I want to give an answer to someone. Like this was just a foreign concept, right? Like we would talk about it and they, like, they wouldn't take it seriously as much, I guess. And then we would show up and be like, well, why didn't we have any calls last week? 
oh, this. Well, why didn't we like go after non-US companies? Well, this. Like, it's just always excuses, right? Like, this is this is actually like getting into some unit economic stuff. Like, some teams that are measured based off pipeline versus like ops and things like that. This is where you get into like as soon as your measurement is a little more amorphous, or you can define it a little bit differently here and there. All of a sudden, like a salesperson, an average salesperson will wiggle themselves into why something is happening or not happening. And that's been a really big struggle for us is like finding a salesperson because we we have good detectors. And sometimes we think like, you know, and then and then it turns into like, well, you're not trusting me or something. It's like, well, hold on. Like we, we, we need to agree on like what is right or wrong. And then like that type of thing. But and then we always question like, well, maybe we aren't trusting. Right. And that's just a good sign of like, it's not a fit. There's not alignment, which we've talked about on the pod a lot. Yeah. But long story short, I think that like going towards the number, making sure that you're having as much fidelity and measuring and then just making the directive clear, like our pipeline, we do not allow our salespeople to measure what pipeline actually is. It's a model that we did based on like historical data. Um, and they can still like put what they think the pipeline is worth, but we don't report that, you know, across the organization, that type of thing. I don't know. I'm hopped up on sales stuff right now. I don't know what's going on. I'm just like sales thing, sales thing, sales thing. I think it's like top of mind right now. I mean, sales is one of the most important things. It's not the most important thing. Once you've got other things sorted out, like marketing and product. So yeah. of course you're going to worry about sales and sales is where the levers are ultimately on revenue more than anywhere else. It's almost like you don't know that until you actually have measured sales properly and understood where all the sort of issues are. Like, like, you know, back in the day at Kissmetrics, one of the, one of the things I did that like nobody was doing for whatever reason was per rep start showing metrics. And I did the calculations myself and like started showing like, oh, that rep, they're very good at closing large deals, hitting quota that way. That rep, very good at closing smaller deals, but still hitting quota that way, right? And then you start, when you start looking at it like that, you also figure out something that I think it's not rare in sales, but this thing is not encouraged, but it's not rare, which is the cross-pollination of the ideas. So it's one thing to say this person that closes large deals should talk to the person that closes small deals. No, 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 no. The person that closes small deals, if we get a new rep that comes in and they're just good at that, you need to cross-pollinate that and be like, yo, can you just teach this person, right? You got to make sure, obviously, everyone feels like they can eat and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, that'll increase your ramp more than almost anything else you can do or decrease a ramp time, increase someone hitting quota faster, uh, increase their ability to because you're kind of doing that. But without that kind of data, you're not able to do it. And this is something that like I learned back in the day. And then now at Nero, we're we're ramping up sales pretty aggressively. And it's like just the same old thing. Right. Just get that data in line. Make sure that somebody owns it internally too. you know what? Typically, you don't want it to be the head of sales. And, and that's because the head of sales is usually very good at activities. Very, very good at activities. Very, very good at meetings. Right. Like the, the sales meetings and coaching and encouraging. But they might not be super analytical or be the one to like figure out when you're going to hit your milestones and your goals. Right. Because honestly, like they have an activities problem they need to solve constantly. Are people doing the activities necessary? Because the leading indicators are the activities. The lagging indicators are actually the revenue and the deals closed and all that stuff. And the way I think about it is the same person has a hard time owning both when it comes to sales. So, again, I, I can talk about this topic sense. a lot, too. I think the, the other thing that's there that's really interesting. I like how 
beginning we were like oh what's the big topic today and like you suggested sales and i was like nah i don't know let's talk about this other thing and then now we're just going to talk about sales <laughs> not my fault no you're fine well yeah you incepted me so i think one thing that's really interesting about it too like well two thoughts one this is why revops i think is growing so much because something that you just said that i i think went by a little too quickly is that sales has to be focused on such a like frontline thing activity like process that oftentimes like everything else around it gets lost because they only see like the thing in front of their face because they have a, like a very clear mission. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. It's just it's it's hard to see the forest for the trees when like your life is trees and helping, you know, people like you know, in the trees or however you want to continue the metaphor. And so what's interesting is like RevOps, this is why sales ops came to be, right? To help track all those activities. Now the rise of RevOps, which is basically sales operations, marketing operations, customer success operations, the best RevOps organizations, like they take those three roles, even if they don't have four people doing it very seriously, because you want to understand like, okay, this is pipeline from marketing um, or SDRs, depending on where they sit. All of a sudden that pipeline creates this many deals, these deals retain at this rate at this LTV, being able to see it throughout the entire life cycle is really helpful because then a really good RevOps organization can go, hey, by the way, like this salesperson, they're closing deals, but they're all churning, right? We should introduce a clawback, right? And this is what the clawback should look like. Hey, this is what's happening because salespeople, the brilliance of it, and some people say this in a derogatory way, I think it's brilliant, is that sales folks are coin operated. You tell them this is how you get your bonus, this is what it looks like. And all of a sudden you just tweak, tweak that sales compensation a little bit and boom, instantly like you will see results unless there's like other overlying issues. And so I think that's really, really interesting. Now, most RevOps organizations are just, hey, RevOps is a thing that I read. Let's, you know, basically take our sales ops organization and just change the name of it, which is not great. But yeah, I think it's really, really interesting. And, and the other thing I would say is a great sales leader is kind of like a great designer, I think. Designers, there are people who don't appreciate designers. They think it's like all subjective, um, all these other things. And I think it's one of those things where same thing with sales, like, oh, they're, you know, not that smart or, you know, whatever it is, that type of thing. You know, this is why like the indie hacker crowd, like loathes sales, like, you know, just, just, just to an extent. And I think it's like a great sales leader. It's like, holy cow, do your thing. Let me get out of the way. Like, let me get out of the way. And it doesn't make, and like, you need a little guardrails here and there because a great sales leader, like, that's the thing. That's the fresh meat they're going after. And so sometimes it can, like, be at the detriment of, of some longer term visions around, like, experience and products. But, like, yeah, it's like finding a great designer, a great lawyer. It's like, there's a lot of average out there. And average is fine. Like, average gets you results. But, like, holy cow, finding a 10x anything is just amazing. And there, there are 10x sales managers and leaders out there, which is kind of wild. I think that, we have to think more objectively about what different types of folks are great at, right? Not everyone can have the situation that like HubSpot had, right? Where they put a non-engineer, I'm sorry, an engineer on sales and that person ended up being really good at it. I found it more common that sales leaders are great at driving activities, not always as great at projecting outcomes, outcomes like further out in particular. I don't know if it's, if it's necessary, if you can find other folks that have responsibilities that where they can help sales and facilitate that. So sales can focus on what they're great at, which is again, this idea of them being coin operated, which I think is completely accurate. And, and I'd rather have our sales leaders focused on that and motivating and coaching the team than worrying about higher level things initially 
and more aligning on higher level things and how those activities relate to those higher level things that someone else might have more responsibility over or should. Again, your mileage may vary. If you're really lucky, you might find someone like HubSpot did and do it that way. I was a lot more in this camp of find the HubSpot like, like use the HubSpot like strategy off of my last experience with this. But then I realized that that's not common. It's uncommon. It's good advice, but it's uncommon. And it worked for them in the situation they were in back in the day. I think a lot of things are different now. There's a lot more understanding of this stuff. And you can find people that are more facilitators for these processes for sales than sales themselves having to completely own it. I think this is why this whole idea of chief revenue officer has come up. And even because of that, folks can say RevOps is a category. I don't really like most of the ops categories. For example, the business we're in, there's a company in, that sells to IT and security called BetterCloud, and they've tried to pen SaaS ops, but I think it's really weak and I call it SaaS oops. So first of all, if I can come around and start calling it that, you're already messing up somewhere, um, I think. And then when you say SaaS ops, I think it doesn't make sense. When you say rev ops, it makes sense. What does SaaS ops even mean? What does SaaS operations even mean? Nothing. Well, especially because I think the word SaaS is going to die. It's just software. Like, it's I mean, just, it's Facebook just... is a SaaS business, right, Patrick? I know. That's <laughs> like, crazy. Like, yeah, technically, like, technically, it's true. Anything that you log into on the internet is technically a SaaS app. And that's that's what gets really interesting about it. Yeah. So, and again, not to dig on them, they came up with this a while ago. It's working for them to some extent, but like it, they haven't made a category out of it because no other company is going to use it because it doesn't make sense. While RevOps, I think, is already turning into a category and multiple companies are using it. And that's when you know the category is there. It's not just multiple companies using it. It's like, does it make sense? Does it really align, especially when you start calling things ops? I think that's a very scary thing uh, unless it truly is something that should exist. And because chief revenue officer exists, I think RevOps makes sense. Because a chief SaaS officer does not exist, unless you count the chief security officer or something, I don't know. This doesn't work. You know, that, yeah, that's, that's a really kind of interesting point. On that. And I don't want to go deep down a positioning conversation because I think <laughs> we've had like 12 episodes it's, somewhere too. about that. But yeah, all I want to say is like, category is hard. Let's talk about, no, I don't want to talk about category. But yeah, that's really interesting. I also think that like, this is the struggle I think customer success also had. Because I think customer success, it's like, it's okay that people call that a billion different things. But like, I think the only reason we're seeing like chief customer officers and like VPs of customer success is because of all the positioning and branding that like Gainsight at all have done. I think a lot of organizations, they're like, well, I have someone that does that. They report to this person. I guess we can call it this nomenclature, which I guess is a win. It's just one of those things where like, there's these fundamental things that businesses are about revenue, product experience, right? Like these are the things, right? So I don't know, that's a little, little tangent, but I will say that I think the one thing I didn't realize or have enough of an appreciation for, which is kind of ironic. So I'm going to be a little vulnerable here is like the HubSpot stuff, which really is other companies before them. That's fine. But like the fixation that Roberge had, and I'm sure other people did, but they're kind of known for it on like unit economics, driving you and basically managing by the spreadsheet, like managing a sales team, 
as like each salesperson's a node. The node needs to create X per month. If the nodes aren't doing this, here's the if then statement of what we do, et cetera. I did not appreciate that as much until we started scaling our go to market this year, because now all of a sudden it's like our pipe is there. The pipe is growing. Our predictability is between X and Y. And all of a sudden it becomes like, presumably we're going to hit a plateau somewhere because there's just, you know, all these like little like plateaus when you're, you're building sales. But it's one of those things where it's like, cool, like let, let's test the system by plugging in another node. All right. Well, we got more volume and nothing else broke. All of our efficiency metrics were great. Let's add two more nodes. Let's add four more nodes and so on and so forth. And not to, you know, reduce people to the term node. That's not what I'm trying to do. But like now all of a sudden it's like 2022 planning seems pretty easy because we're like, well, how many nodes are, can we hire based on their ramp time, all these different things. And like, let's like model maybe a deprecation of efficiency just because like, I'm sure there'll be like too much surface area somewhere or something like that. But even then it's like, all right, we know that like 2022 is going to look like X and Y and something will break. So let's like just put a artificial 15% decrease in anything that we're projecting just to be conservative. And then we'll drop another one for our board, our board level, you know, kind of plan. But yeah, it's made planning so much easier because all of a sudden there's like, you know, I know it sounds dumb, but like actual numbers and actual history that we can then like push forward basically based on these things. Yeah. I think that's, that's the key, right? Like you have to manage by the numbers. That's what SaaS is all about. And, and yeah, you know, the product matters. Yes. The marketing matters. But at the end of the day, it's what's, it's the sales process and sales that matters more than anything else in order to scale the business. Because that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of making revenue happen and all that jazz. Super important. And some people consider it, you know, boring or kind of like keep avoiding it, right? Of measuring measuring what's going on. But if you if you even spent any time trying to do outbound emailing or any of that kind of stuff, you realize that like without measuring it or without actually being really deliberate about what you're learning from it, you kind of screw yourself up and it takes longer than it should. And some of these things, they already take a long time. Like I haven't seen anyone figure out outbound sales in less than like three to six months. And three is like very difficult. It's only 12 weeks. How many emails can you send? You've done it before. Yeah. Even then, right? Like like you might might still get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, right. The customer's different, all those kind of things, right? Positioning, messaging, all that stuff. Yeah. What, What else do you want to talk about sales? today or do you want to switch to the next topic yeah let's talk i'm about happy to keep going on this you know obviously folks listening and ourselves we're going into planning and like we have enough history to do i feel marketing and sales planning presumably we're, we might be a little overconfident there you're kind of in a venture-backed situations so you kind of know probably some of those ratios but also like you have some like dry powder to like experiment with and go after I don't know, planning. Like, how do you do planning? I'm just kind of curious, like, how you do planning. I can go through how we do planning, and I feel kind of embarrassed at how we do planning, but it seems to be working, so all right. Yeah, so what's what's up with your planning? I mean, on my end, like, we today don't – at my company, we don't have a board except my co-founder and I. Um, we, we have raised a bunch of money. We don't disclose how much or how, how, how many rounds or anything like that. A billion dollars has been raised by Nira. That's, that's the number. I'm just going to reveal that. We're not at a stage where planning is going to be, like, a thing until – basically next year for us, we're in a different boat, but we're doing all the things that you would do as close as possible without having all the people in place and the predictability to get to predictability. So for me, planning this year is about predictability and what's missing to get there. And so we started implementing a lot of measurement, a lot of ownership around that, 
who owns what. And we've split it up in our company. So sales is specifically owning activities. Like our head of sales owns activities and he drives activities. Our head of go-to-market owns the numbers and the predictability and the repeatability. And that has been a good pairing because they really work well together in that respect and regard. And then the head of sales is not constantly worried about how are we doing against like goals or against predictability and repeatability, much more focused on our people on his team doing what they need to be doing. Is he doing what he needs to be doing to move deals forward? And this might shift over time, but today this is a split we've done and it's been very effective. Now that's made it so that we've hacked the planning by basically focusing a lot of the planning on predictability and repeatability, because that's the stage we're at. And I just wanted to explain that because I don't think that's the case if you've got what you've got, which is a running business where you should already have predictability. You should already know what the lever levers are and have an idea of how to move them. And then on our in our case, I know a lot of planning also has to do with marketing and product and things like that. Our marketing is very focused on outbound efforts and nothing else at the moment. And we are going to be doing a lot more next year. And then our product efforts are always roadmapped. And they're always aligned with what we think is going to bring us more revenue. And we have a bunch of things we do internally um, that focus on that, all oriented around the market we're in and the needs our customers have. Like we just know what the high level, like if we do X, Y, and Z, we're going to make more money. One obvious one I wanted to share in our business is today our business is a security tool focused on helping you basically protect company docs from unauthorized access. We only work with Google Workspace. The biggest project internally is working with Microsoft uh, and, and getting Microsoft in there because that opens up our TAM and now we get both, right? We needed to make sure all the tech worked for one solid integration before we yeah, did any totally. others. That's going to increase revenue because it increases TAM, right? And we already have customers that ironically or oddly use both <laughs> for whatever reason, right? That's me. That's how I think about it today. That's how we do it. But I've done it all different ways and happy to dive into kind of what you've got going on and like what's yeah. happening. I think to give our baseline, it's obviously hard. We've tried everything, not everything. We've tried a lot of things. And I think that the thing that we came down to is that teams need to plan in the best way for the team. And then we need to make an effort to stitch those things together into a larger narrative, right? So what we found is at a very high level, Facundo, Peter, and I need to set, and this is based on, ironically, it's not like us. It's like us talking to everybody, seeing what they're thinking, all that kind of stuff. Us like setting, here's the directive. We are doing X, Y, Z, like very high level, right? So it might be like, so this year it was, we need to double this product line's revenue. We need to increase this product line's revenue by this amount. And we need to do Z. Um, Z is more of like a non-numbers initiative. And then what we do is the teams do their own planning based on that. So to give an example, like the content team, the recur team, there are things that support that mission. There are things that like don't quite support the mission, but are backburdered enough that it's not going to take a ton of effort. And then they organize like their team. So like Dan, we actually are kind of on like Dan who leads up the recur team. We're on this like odd, like, quarterly planning, but really monthly. So like we have a quarterly plan, but with creative art, like all of a sudden you run into, you know, a situation where, well, we wanted to take an extra week on this thing to make it dope or like there was something that happened. So it took an extra week. And I think it's really hard to give creatives like really hard deadlines because, you know, you want, you want a target deadline, but you want to kind of be like, 
if you change the estimate, each new estimate should be subsequently more accurate because you kind of have more information. But you're going to be kind of like a little bit not a jerk if like the deadline moves for a justifiable reason. If it feels like it's not justified, it's like we're poor planning, we're poor executing those types of things. That's not acceptable. But long story short, so like that team basically has like an annual plan of like, we're going to go after these things. And then he struggles with one, these are the things that like absolutely are necessary for now. These are the things that people are going to love to do. And then these are the things that like help us long term. So that's always a little bit of a struggle. So I would say that's like more of a traditional, not quite OKRs, but like sort of OKRs based on the overarching plan. Sales, now we're in a position where it's like our projections previously were kind of all over the place because we didn't understand our efficiency metrics. Now we're getting into a comfortable place of understanding our efficiency metrics. So now it's just like, go, 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 go. And so we look at that more as like quarterly planning, like we have an annual plan number, but it's like, I don't, I don't like to report an annual plan number to anybody because right now we're moving so quickly that like, we're not quite at the stage where it's like, we know if we hire these 150 people, it means this much money, like some companies get to. And then product, they're planning. We talked about product planning on maybe 10 episodes ago, you know, cause you have a, a great way of doing it um, in terms of timelines and stuff like that. So our product team plans based on like, you know, basically epics, you know, where they go in and they think through like, these are the things we're focused on. These are the things we're doing. And we have the different teams that, you know, based on product and engineering are basically like pushing things forward. And yeah, it's interesting. It works. And I think that like, we're probably missing some efficiency here, but that's because we haven't had some of the leadership. And now as some of the leadership is developed or we're hiring externally, all of a sudden it's like, cool, now we can like accelerate this even further. And then the extra quirk that we have is we're right now running a bootstrap business. We are probably going to be raising money early next year. And so all of a sudden we're running into the situation where it's like planning without that and planning with that is very, like it's, it's, it's very different, right? But yeah, it's kind of our baseline, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think that you're a self-funded business. Yeah. Oh, we don't say bootstrap anymore. That's right. No, no, no. You can say it. I just won't say it. Customer funded business. Customer funded is the other fancy word a lot of people like to use. I find planning just a funny thing. All I care about as a, as a leader is repeatability and predictability. And to me, planning should be oriented around that and determining what's predictable, what's repeatable, and what's not. Because things that are not need to become repeatable or predictable or put in a bucket like the one you mentioned, which is like, hey, this is not meant to move any needles, but we're doing it for these reasons. And obviously, I'm sure they're good or whatever. But that's the idea. But everything else should be predictable and repeatable. So people talk about planning, like what are we going to ship or what are we going to do? What are we going to change? And for me, it's simply like what is going to happen in the future? Are we sure it's going to happen? What's our certainty? What are the levers so that we can guarantee it's going to happen? And how can what we do impact those levers to guarantee what's going to happen? Because like if you're running your business correctly at scale, so let's say after a couple million bucks in revenue, just as an example for a B2B focused enterprise company or whatever, you should already have spreadsheets that have give you an idea of how many leads you're getting, how many you're closing every month, all that good stuff that are built out months out, sometimes even years out because it's predictable and it's repeatable. What are you planning then? And so what you're trying to plan is how do we get to a bigger goal or how do we increase or how do we do get more out of this, right? Or, oh, crap, if we go at the current pace, we're not going to hit our goals, right? And like you should have a lot of awareness of that way earlier. And I think that if you can do that, 
planning becomes a lot easier. It isn't about this big push that everyone has for end of year planning. Because already, as you know, in sales, end a month, end a quarter, end a year, those are already big pushes on activities, right? And getting deals done. Do you want to toss in another thing where everyone's spending all this time trying to plan out next year? And I get it. Like, this is how it's traditionally done. I understand. But the world moves at a pace where you should be doing weekly planning, <laughs> monthly yeah. planning at the same level of rigor, potentially, and have all the systems in place. And again, this is probably progressive. People can, you know, tell me I'm full of crap here. Fine. This is just how I like to run things and I prefer to run things. So there's no surprises. Well, I think there's there's two really distinct points that are kind of underlying what you're saying, or maybe I agree or disagree. One is, I think everyone has this view of planning as this picture perfect, like one box here, one box there equals this other box there. And I think what ends up happening is because of that, I remember when we were planning earlier, we would do like an annual plan with like really deep, like bullets about three quarters out and all this other stuff. And we were like three years old and it's like, we do not have the predictability nor the like rigor of analysis of what the heck is going on or how long things are going to take to spend any time going to that that part. It's kind of like people who are like, oh, well, if I can't you know, get perfect attribution, I'm not going to do it. It's like that is the wrong way to think about things because like perfect attribution like either doesn't exist or takes like a decade to like get the foundation or the infrastructure to kind of figure out. And so it's one of those things that that was a big mistake we made is like, well, it needs to like follow this spreadsheet that I found online or follow this like article that I read about planning. And it's like, no, that was done at Google with a 30,000 person sales team where literally the quants were like, this is how much more money we should make. And then the head of this sales department was just like, here's your number. And then the one next layer down had to fit, like distribute that number amongst them. And then the next layer down had to distribute the like, and it just trickles down. And like, that's like hardcore central planning, pardon the phrase. And it's just like, not what you can do at a company. And so that, that, that's a really big thing I think is like, it's like a lot of things at a company. It's like the constant precipice of like knowing that it's not going to be perfect and knowing that you're not going to track anything, but taking that chaos and like reining it in over time. Like, I think that like, if we went to a point where we were like, yes, we're, we can measure anything and we can look at everything. But if we built out a giant spreadsheet with all these different rows and all these different things, like five years ago, it'd been a waste of time versus like, if we don't have that today, like that's a problem. Right. So I think that's a really, really big thing is like iteration is better than like perfection at the wrong time. Yeah, that really helped me to like get my mind around that because I tried to like over plan when I didn't have the data. And then the other thing is like, I think having team members where you can basically be like, here's the goal, go figure it out. Because I think what we tried to do because we just didn't have some of these people in place is like try to plan too many orgs under like one person. And it's just like, there's going to be a problem in one of the orgs and all of a sudden the plan's going to go to and you got to pump in to like fix it. Well, all of a sudden that's going to have this like nice little like fire drill circle of like all the other orgs getting in trouble. And it's like having those people in place, like, you know, even if you're like apprehensive about hiring, you know, someone cause they're expensive, like you get what you're paid for with this stuff. Like we've developed, I think Steven, our head of growth now into someone who I'm like, Hey man, this is the goal. <laughs> like you agree with the goal? Like that's the biggest thing is get the buy-in. Like you think this is the best goal for this time period? And he's like, yep cool, like figure it out. Right. And then we check in on it and, you know, I help him here and there, but like he knows the goal, we're perfectly aligned on the goal. And then, you know, if for some reason the goal ends up being wrong, like we'll talk about it. But as we get closer to our, you know, imposed deadline, 
you know, we're, we're able to see like progress in those types of things. Actually, one thing really helped me that you taught me, I don't know if like you came up with this yourself. It's not like a terribly like, you know, earth shattering concept, but projected actual, always projected actual. Yeah. Like, because I want to know how crappy am I at projecting so I can improve my projection against actual. It's so good because all of a sudden you're like, you're constantly like, okay, again, this is what I projected. This is what actually is. My model's wrong. My model's wrong. My model's wrong. Let's fix the model and go from there. And I think so many people, they don't, they don't really just put those things on the same chart. It's even worse when you don't do it because you never have any accountability. So the, the, the way, the way I would say in a culture, if you wanted your culture to be like this or in a culture where this would be, uh, acceptable, I would actually do actuals and forecast, right? And then your forecast is arbitrary. So let's say a company is at a million ARR in December, by December, your arbitrary forecast would be, we're going to 10 X by next December. And then you work backwards on the forecast to be able to see what do you need to do each month, each quarter, whatever, each day, whatever it is to figure out how to 10 X. And then you start looking at your actuals for at least historically, right? And see what would happen if you didn't change anything. Would you get to three? Would you get to five? And then you start understanding the difference between the two, the two being the 10 X and like the three X, if that's what you're going to get to anyway. And then the conversations get really good because you're then setting arbitrary goals. And usually I don't like that, but in this case, it's future arbitrary goal and working backward from it and forcing the organization to understand if we wanted to do that, what is it going to take? And I have never met a high growth CEO that keeps the growth going that doesn't do it like that. Because a lot of times it's like, hey, we got to a million we get to three next year and people are satisfied and they're like, okay, we're going to three is great. That's a three X, but you're only at a million, you know, like you can 10 X it next year. You just have never thought about it like that. And so, and then you can only do that if you have an actuals versus forecast attitude to figure out and have the accountability around extreme goals like that. So I think sometimes people like hear extreme goals like that, like 10 Xing in a year, they're like, Oh, it's not possible. But wait, hold on. Until you've done the exercise that I just described, you can't say that. And I think that that's the more extreme version of it that over time we will be implementing it at my company because it's the right thing to do, especially when you've raised money and you have high growth aspirations because you've raised money and that's what everyone expects. So then you should figure out how to do that exercise and see what you need to change or what you need to do in order for that to be possible. What I find frustrating, well, not frustrating, but I think what actually is really smart with this is like, this is why for like revenue numbers, like we have like a yearly goal or like a longer term goal, but we really focus on the monthly and the quarterly like we were talking about because I don't want an artificial ceiling on what I should be doing, right? Like I literally want to look at here's how much dry powder I have, AKA cash flow that I can reinvest. I need to hire as many X as possible. And then it becomes a prioritization exercise of like product and marketing. And sometimes there's just op stuff or product. Like there's just, Hey, we need more engineering for this because like that's going to do X, Y, Z. I can't perfectly measure what that revenue is going to bring. And I need to make that decision to prioritize that 
and squint a little bit to make the prioritization, even though I know this SDR will create X, this AE will create Y, et cetera, right? And so, but that being said, like I want to hire as many SDRs as I can every month, right? I want to hire as many AEs every month that I can. And so that helps you not limit yourself to like, so for example, like we were two Xing this year, we're going to do more than two X, which is great this year. And it's mainly because like, we didn't cap ourselves at two X. We capped ourselves at like, well, these are unit economics. And then we looked at, Hey, this AE is not closing what we're supposed to do on a per monthly basis, like cut them or figure it out. Right. Like that's, that's the thing, because then all of a sudden you run into the situation where quarterly planning actually for some of our products has become really easy because all of a sudden it's like, well, how many A's do we have that are ramped? How many will be ramped in the quarter? What do we expect? Okay, that's the number, right? Like that is the number. And then on the expansion side, it's a little arbitrary. We set it at like a percentage of like end of quarter revenue, like for the next quarter. And, you know, that's a little underdeveloped, but we just set it. And so it like makes planning easy. There's no like this baloney of like what we had years ago, which is, I don't know, like, is that good? I'm setting like an arbitrary like, well, it's got to grow this percent every month or this percent every quarter or whatever, which like, you know, no one, then you're just frantically trying to fill a void and there's your projections aren't based on anything. So yeah, I think it's interesting. Very interesting. I think what I'm hearing is like, don't cap yourself, make sure you're tracking. If something's not repeatable, go figure that out now. And then don't like beat yourself up. If you don't have this picture, perfect planning, like this deck that you got saw from some company about their planning and you're like, Oh my God, this looks great. But you know, you're probably just not at that stage. I think once you get into like, you know, a large company, like, you know, hundred million plus, like even probably before that, like planning becomes, you know, almost a full-time job to certain people because there's just so many moving parts. Right. Um, even with like a hundred person sales team and hundred person engineering team, like, you know, you have people that that's just their jobs to basically plan. They might not call it that, but that's the gig, let alone like a public company, where all of a sudden, like you have kind of a city where you have multiple different factions and all this other stuff happening, and then someone's got to stitch all that crap together, uh, you know, at, at, at the at the tail end. So, yeah, I think those are the basics, right? And I love that you brought up the actuals and forecasting, and I think it's actuals forecast on graphs and on sheets, and the data there is incredible, and it holds everyone accountable. So I would I would stress that everybody starts implementing that, and then on the other side of it this idea of predictability and repeatability, which are not the same thing, um, but are, are kind of almost the same thing are very important. So taking that lens on things, I think is what drives growth. All these two things, if you just did these and figured out how to do actuals and forecasts in your business and get extreme with the forecast in, or in order to exercise it and see, see what you can do is important. And then this other thing of just focusing on predictability and repeatability when you're doing planning, I think, just changes the conversation. So my recommendation is those two things on planning as a sort of what do people get wrong? And I think they get that yeah. stuff wrong. They, they plan a lot of activities, a lot of stuff, but they have no baseline way of having accountability. And all those things bring accountability. Like right now in my company, all we're focused on is predictability and repeatability. That's it. Like if we were just going after that in every way possible, in particular around our sales process, and the way we generate leads and things like that. Because if we don't have that, then we can't grow. And if we're not aiming for that, then we're gonna do tactics that are short-term. That's the other thing. You're not doing a lot of short-term tactics if you're not focused on predictability and repeatability. Yeah, it's interesting. And those short-term tactics, you you get in this cycle of like, honestly, reactive fire drills. 
oh, that didn't work. Oh, we got to get this out tomorrow. It's like, well, why, <laughs> you know, no one likes working under this environment. <laughs> like, it's like everything's a fire and everything's urgent. Like we, we definitely had that stage and it was terrible. Part of that I think was necessary because we were trying to bite off a bunch more than, you know, we, we really could do. And then, you know, or we probably should have done. And other part of it was like, I would do it all over again in a very different way because there were just some naive mistakes on my part specifically, just in terms of some of the stuff, like kind of not trusting the process, I think, um, you know, in terms of like getting to that predictability and repeatability. I think this is good. You got anything else on this? You want to end on this? Nope. All right. Well, hopefully that helps you if you're in 2022 planning. Clearly not a very specific use OKRs, but I think that's the problem. You got to like, I think- Let's not just talk like, about OKRs. I know. There's got to be some sort of like phrase here. It's like, culture planning fit, something like that. Because I, I do think it's really, because some people they use like Scrum and probably people use all this other stuff for like some of the stuff. And it's like, I don't know, like I have opinions on some of these things, but I also don't want to judge. Like if it works for you and you're getting the outcomes, I think a lot of people aren't measuring the outcomes or- No, I'll, you know, I'll judge. I'll judge because those things all break. <laughs> but like, that's okay. I've just seen everybody mess up OKRs. I've seen everybody mess up. Scrum totally. is a whole nother and sprints are a whole nother issue. I didn't want to get into it, but yeah. How do you service your customer if you're doing sprints every two weeks? Like you don't. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, all right. exactly. We'll talk about it some other time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we talked about sales. We talked about making sure that you uh, don't, uh, you know, use excuses like geography or seasonality. We talked about good sales leaders being hard to predict, hard to see. And we talked a lot about planning, being okay with like, it's not going to be perfect, but it should be iterative. So the chaos is constantly getting better and better as you grow more chaos comes out, but you know, hopefully are better to better served it with a better mindset and, uh, yeah, good 2020 planning. Anything else, Eden? No, good luck, everybody. It's that time of the year. So do, do your thing, have a lot of fun while you're doing it. Hopefully it's exciting. We'll uh, see. Make this stuff exciting as much as possible. So that's my only other last parting thought. Also remember the last day of the year is an arbitrary measure of time. Very clearly arbitrary True. measure of time. There's nothing magical that happens, although you will have the most people quit in January statistically. Uh, so that's just kind of what happens because everyone's thinking about their lives. But the march continues. The march continues. All right, we'll no see you. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast. Or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about Tradeoffs, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 